Well, hello, everyone. Before we start today's podcast episode, I have a special announcement for the trial lawyers out there who are women. Ladies, we are starting a brand new badass women's trial lawyer coaching program on January 15th of 2020. Are you a badass female trial attorney? If so, I invite you to join me along with nine women. I'm only accepting nine into the program for a six-month program where you get a 90-minute coaching call, group coaching call each month, a call with me one-on-one each month as your private coach, and also a place to practice along with all kinds of other goodies like an autographed copy of From Hostage to Hero. If you want to learn more and apply for the program, visit from hostagetohero.com forward slash badass coaching program. We are only accepting nine and applications are due by December 10th. Again, that's from hostagetohero.com forward slash badass coaching program. This is a program I may never offer again. Uh, We'll see, but I'm very excited about this program and I invite you to join. Sorry, men, you're going to have to join up for a new program when I offer it. This one's just for the ladies from hostagetohero.com forward slash badass coaching program. Hope to see you there. When you're up against a hostile room of people who don't want to be there, you need real strategies that get results. Welcome to From Hostage to Hero, the show that gives you practical advice you can use right now in the courtroom, boardroom, or classroom. Learn how to move your unwilling audience to one that is invested in what you're saying, eager to participate, and engaged in the process. Learn from the attorney whisperer herself, your host, Sari Delamont. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of From Hostage to Hero. We're getting so close to Christmas, and um, I love Christmas. I don't know about you guys, but being 100% Finn, that is really where my finishness shows up. All of the different Finnish foods, including turnip, yes, turnip casserole, or maybe it's rutabaga. They're pretty similar. Rutabaga casserole and pickled beets and um, we always do ham and we always do Christmas Eve. You know, I always grew up thinking about Christmas being an evening thing with candles. We open our gifts on Christmas Eve. We have, you know, our big dinner on Christmas Eve. That's, that's our big Christmas thing. So happy holidays to everyone else. Um, those of you who celebrate Christmas, those of you who do not, and celebrate other holidays, those of you who choose to not celebrate anything at all, you're all welcome here. Um, so happy holidays, however you choose or not to choose to um, celebrate those. Alrighty, well, today we are talking about how women should behave in court because ladies, we have some problems. Now, if you are male listening to this podcast, um, buckle up. because there's some things that will um, rock your world too. But uh, I think that you'll, you'll be able to learn a lot from what I'm saying because most of the advice that I'm going to give, I wouldn't say most, but a lot of the advice I'm going to give on today's podcast applies to men as well. All right. And of course, I don't want to, um, step on any toes for those who are gender nonconforming. Uh, this really applies to uh, the those people who are different really in any way and are judged for it in court. Okay, 
So to keep things as clear as possible, we're talking about women. But again, the definition just really goes to anyone who's different in any way in court. So what I tend to hear all the time when I am doing the seminars for lawyers, which is the only people I work with now, is like almost always, uh, like clockwork, get questions from the audience, um, from women who say, all right, how do I take what you have just taught today and apply it as a woman? And I, my answer is always, listen, my advice, my communication advice does not depend on what's in your underwear, okay? Meaning, when I suggest that to communicate authoritatively, you turn the palms down and you curl the voice down, that applies to both men and women, okay? So just to be really clear, I don't have different advice in terms of communication for men and different advice for women. That said, it is absolutely a different thing entirely about how those messages are perceived. So if you if you remember in, in previous podcasts, I've talked about the three components of any message. There's the content, that's what you're saying. There's the delivery, that's how you're saying it, or the nonverbal component of communication, the content being the verbal component. And then there is the reception, how that is received. So when we're talking about content, it, all things being equal, they always, they always aren't. But assuming that they are, this is the most most bland place. Meaning we, if we're communicating the same content so far, so good. When we get to the delivery, however, that's where the reception of it changes. So for example, just in our opening statement studio back in November, we were working, as all of my attendees do and during the opening statement uh, studio, on storytelling. And we talked a lot about how to use different voices. We talked a lot about how to use movement. We talked a lot about how to become the character. And so if the character is hit and knocked over, how you need to, you know, reenact that and get on the floor. And, you know, one of my favorite stories is about Randy McGinn, you know, writhing and jerking on the floor as she communicates to the jury how her patient was suffering or her, her um, not her patient, but her, her plaintiff, her client. And so all of the attorneys really took this to heart. I was really excited to see all of them. We were throwing chairs and <laughs> knocking things together and falling on the ground and throwing shoes. And I mean, there was just so much great storytelling going on in this seminar. And we had two females in the seminar. And one of them said over the lunch break how proud she was of herself, that she would have never done that before. But lo and behold, in the comment section of her juror feedback form, several people had said it was unprofessional for her to lie on the ground, especially wearing a dress and high heels, uh, when she communicated how her, uh, her plaintiff had been knocked over by a utility cart and had a, a shattered hip. So as you might imagine, lots of the men laid on the ground or threw things or did things, and there was no comment about that at, at all. And I get it, women. This is infuriating. 
absolutely infuriating. And it's infuriating for me in this situation to have taught the attorneys to do these things and to have and see them show up in such a big way and do things that they they felt scary and were risky and then have the jury, at least some of the jury, respond in that way. But I tell you this story for a few reasons. One, this is a great example of how we can communicate in the way that is the most effective, meaning telling the story and really embodying the characters and using the voices and the movement and the gestures and having it received in a different way. So let's talk about then what you should do, women of lawyer land (laughs) because I think this is what you're asking me is it not when we're in seminars and you're saying okay I get all of this stuff but when I do this stuff roll around on the ground use the authoritative voice pattern um, show emotion in trial I get punished for it really is the reason. You know, I just yesterday I was on a coaching call with um, one of the people in my small group coaching and she said, I want to talk about emotion at trial. And you know, our last um, podcast episode was on anger and trial and emotion at trial. And here's another place where women are told not to be emotional. I mean, when a man, and this is not a man bashing thing at all. I, I, I'll, I'll come right out and say it. The majority of my clients are men. Majority of my clients, easily 80% or more of my clients are men. I love men. I'm married to a man. Uh, I work with men. I empower men uh, in this work and I'm, I'm happy to do it. So men, if you're listening and you're still with me, this is not about degrading you. So please get that out of your head. Although it's not my job to make you feel better either. So look at your own stuff. if This is triggering you in some way. But I get it that when men show emotion in court, as a society, we tend to applaud that and go, oh, how great it is that he can access that side of himself. Because men are socialized that emotion is wrong. So when they step out of their comfort zone and show emotion in court, we tend to applaud that. And yet women are socialized to not be bold, not be authoritative, not show up in a big way. And yet when they attempt to do it, they get the opposite response. Now, it's a whole other podcast to go into why this is or what we, what, you know, how we dismantle this as a society. Those are all big questions and they are worthy of being looked at. Yes. But what I'm here to talk to you today is how you, on the level of you and your actions, can begin to dismantle this now, right? We have a lot of work to do as a society, yes. And there is a lot at stake at trial, yes. But here is my number one suggestion when it comes down to how do I handle showing emotion, how to dress at court, being authoritative, you know, big ass storytelling, whatever it is. What is, what's your answer? Sorry. How do women do these things? And I say, and here it is, do it anyway. Someone has to go first. Listen, I wish 
there was an easier answer. I wish that there was something I could tell you that you could do to make this work for you. But the only other option that I have seen, and I have seen it firsthand, is that women are shutting themselves down, telling them themselves they can't wear that red suit because it'll piss the jury off, telling themselves that they shouldn't be emotional because the jury will punish them for it, telling themselves that they shouldn't um, be authoritative because they're going to come off like a bitch. And I've had enough. I've had enough. Someone has to go first. If there's two options available to us, which I think there really only are, which is bend yourself into a pretzel to appeal to the world, the jury, whatever, in a way that is acceptable and palatable to them, or show up anyway as your true badass self. Hell yeah, I'm going to tell you to do the second one. Now, if you're listening to this podcast, you're thinking, well, that's all easy to say, sorry, but if this means that it, it costs me my, my case and it costs me the jury and so on and so forth, then how can you ask me to do this? Well, I, my, my question to you is what, what's our other choice? What is our other choice at this stage of the game? And you know, here's the thing that I really want to point out to you is that there's this phenomenon that we have as human beings is that when we see something that we disagree with, okay, or we're confused about, and there's a name for this, and I to totally wanted to look it up before I podcasted it, and I forgot. Could be cognitive bias. I don't think that's what it is. Here's the phenomenon that I'm talking about, is that we try to find reasons to explain why we're feeling the way that we're feeling. All right, let me, let me unpack this for you a little bit. Meaning when we are, for example, watching the attorney in the dress and the heels get down on the ground and, and simulate her client falling, we as a, a jury member may be uncomfortable with some aspect of that. Meaning not that she's in a dress, not that she's a woman, not that she's wearing heels, but the fact that we're thinking about things like, man, that could have been, could have been my mom or my grandma getting knocked over, or my, my mom or grandma could have been the one being killed, whatever the situation is in trial. And we have immediately an uncomfortable reaction, an emotional reaction. If you go back to the last podcast, we talked about how most of us don't want to be with scary emotions. Jurors are exactly the same. And so when they see a scary emotion like that in themselves on some level, what they tend to do is find a reason for why they're feeling the way that they're feeling. Now, they don't want to be with their emotion, just like you don't want to be with your emotion in many cases, which is why you tend to go to anger, the cover-up emotion that we talked about last time. So what they do is they'll find something else and say, ah, that's why I'm feeling uncomfortable. Oh, because this woman is on the floor and she shouldn't be on the floor. She's wearing heels for Christ's sake. She's got a dress on. What the hell is she doing? And immediately, you know what the juror gets thinking that? Relief. They are able to distract themselves from the real reason for their discomfort, which has nothing to do with what the woman lawyer is doing in the courtroom at that moment. It has to do with some deep-seated shit that they don't want to have to deal with. I mean, that's what we're talking about, people. And by the way, these comments that our, our attorneys get, 
about being unprofessional, most of them were from, wait for it, women. Most of them were from women. Now, I do not want to perpetuate this idea that women are so hard on other women because we're jealous and petty and blah, blah, blah. You know what I think it is? You know, I I don't even think it is. You know what I'm convinced it is? Is that we ourselves are fearful of doing things that we have been socialized, we as women, not to do. So when we see other women doing it, again, it taps into our own shit of, oh my gosh, that, I'm not, I'm not bold enough to do that. And what if she's going to hurt herself? Not physically, I mean emotionally or professionally. And so I'm going to look out for her and tell her that's unprofessional. She probably shouldn't go there. It activates the, uh, the, the women in the audience in the jury, they're saboteurs saying, you know, I'm trying to save. I really believe that's what this, what it is. Women are saying, you shouldn't do that, women attorney, because the men will judge you for it. And yet what ends up happening is it's the women that are judging them for it due to our own fear. And do you see what this is doing? We are feeding into our own collective fear, ladies. What we're doing is we are we are deciding not to show up because women are telling us not to show up because they themselves are afraid to not to show up and it perpetuates this cycle, this cycle, so the cycle, this cycle. It's very similar to defensive attribution. Y'all know what I'm talking about, where we always talk about, we, we don't talk about, let me see how many times I can say talk about. We don't want to talk about the plaintiff very much like we used to 30 years ago, because immediately jurors start to think, oh, I would have made a different decision. I would have saved myself. I wouldn't have been injured, so on and so forth. The same can be said here, is that the women in the jury box are saying, if I did that, I would be judged. They don't know that they're thinking this. This is something I've developed and been thinking about for years now, watching juries and doing all the coaching work that I've done and all my familiarity with the inner critic or the saboteur. I'm convinced this is what's happening. And so the answer, my friends, is not to pull back and play small and contort ourselves into a pretzel so that we can somehow present ourselves in this shiny version that doesn't activate anyone's saboteur. No, we've got to go first. We've got to break the cycle and start showing up in a big way to first normalize it, okay, so that it becomes the norm. And second, to show other women it is possible, that we can do this and that it will be done and we will not suffer for it. And you know what? In that process, some of you will suffer for it. I do not need to sugarcoat this for you. You will suffer for it. And for that, I apologize now greatly. And I also thank you. I'm almost getting emotional here because someone has to go first. And I believe it's this generation of women that has to go first. My question to you is, are you willing to go first? Are you willing to normalize being big and bold and showing up in a way, even if it costs you something. Even if it costs you something. You know, in my seminars, I talk quite a bit about how being yourself is a big deal. And I don't ever say that only being yourself is all you need. I mean, you need skills, you need to 
increase your community a communication facility you need to learn all the legal stuff of course I, I i don't ever suggest that just be yourself is enough but being yourself is the cornerstone for everything and so i was speaking at the cala conference uh in october a women's conference and i was talking about all these limiting beliefs that we as women tend to hold women trial attorneys i'm not a woman trial attorney but i'm honored to even walk amongst you all of you trial attorneys men and women and it was so interesting to me because right after my talk, a very well-known female trial attorney, a female trial attorney that I had been looking forward to meeting for, for a long time, stood up and the very first thing out of her mouth was, it is not enough to just be yourself. And I was just gobsmacked. I was gobsmacked at first. I was like, how dare she... First of all, call me out in front of all these people. And and then, of course, toward the end of her talk, say how important it is to support women. And I was thinking, well, bullshit. I hear that a lot, by, by the way, from, from a lot of women who are high up in their game. It's important to support women, women. And then they do things like this. But, you know, once I stepped back from it and I started to realize that she herself is a victim of exactly what I'm talking about, she doesn't believe that it's enough to be yourself. And that is the saddest thing of all. This is her stuff. It had nothing to do with me. And I'm here to say, I'm here to be a voice to communicate that being yourself is enough. That's, that's the start to everything. When you start to own who you are. I mean, so how should women behave in court? However the fuck you want. What should you wear in court? Whatever the fuck you want. Listen, it's all about owning it and owning your power. The number one thing jurors want to hear or see or, or feel from you is that you've got this, that you are comfortable in your skin, that you are comfortable showing up as you are. You know, I had a friend uh, once say that I could show up to, this went back in my piano um, days when I was teaching piano because she always wore a skirt when she was teaching she's like it just made me feel more like a teacher and I said oh my god I never wore a skirt some of them are jeans and she goes you could teach naked and still have credibility this is what I'm talking about is that and this is true for men too right it's trying to prove who you are and how great you are is the problem right we have we have the, the term for men swinging dick right they're out there and they're just like look how great I am nobody likes that men or women. And so what I'm saying is for both of y'all, relax into who you are. Wear what makes you comfortable. Do what makes sense to you. Does that mean that you shouldn't learn communication skills and things? For example, timing is everything. I'm not suggesting that on day one of trial that men or women show up with a crazy ass outfit, okay? Because what you're doing in that situation is you're making it about you. Okay, let's step back for a minute. There's a difference than being yourself and being authentic and showing up and making it about you, making yourself the big show, making yourself the center of attention. Two totally th different things and apply to men and women equally. So, so check yourself. If you want to be excellent at this work, what you will do is two things. You will totally, absolutely, 100% own your greatness and your authenticity and your worth. And 
You will also learn about timing and when things are appropriate and when they're not. That does not diminish who you are. That makes you savvy. That makes you smart. I mean, I always tell the example of how I'm at home. I'm in pajamas. Look, I'm podcasting right now in my pajamas. It's what... 10 in the morning. It could be two in the afternoon. I'll still be in my pajamas because I'm at home and I don't have to see clients today. It's my podcast day. And even sometimes when I do have to see clients, I'm still in my pajamas. Pajamas are the home outfit. Okay. But when I go to trial, when I go and work with clients, when I'm speaking, I'm not in pajamas. Now I'm in my business attire. Does that make me inauthentic? No. It just means I'm doing the right thing at the right time. I'm communicating in the way that serves my audience is not distract from what I'm trying to do. That doesn't mean I'm trying to put myself in a pretzel or, or bend myself into direction so that I don't offend anybody, right? For example, I cuss a lot, <laughs> as you know, on podcasts and when I'm speaking. And it was funny, I was speaking at the AATA conference, a trucking conference, and Eric Penn texted me, he's like, girl, you use more F words than I did. That's my style. Not everybody likes it. Too bad. Okay. But when I go and I speak to my kids, you know, preschool class, if I'm ever asked, <laughs> or kindergarten class, am I going to cuss and, and bring all that with me? No, it's not appropriate there. I mean, some people would say it's not appropriate AATA, but you know, I risk that. Um, that doesn't make me get inauthentic. It means that I'm doing what's needed for the circumstance. And here's where I think we've gotten it all totally mixed up is that because we are listening to what the world is socializing women into what's appropriate versus what's really appropriate. What is going to speak to this audience? What can I get away with? That's always my question. What can I get away with? Or my husband, Kevin, who's also a coach, will say, what's your stretch? That's where I want to live. I want to live on the edge I want to live on boldness. I want to live on bigness because you know what? That's where it's exciting. That's the types of days that I want to jump out of bed in the morning. What I don't want to do is live in a world or in a career where I have to constantly watch myself and and bend myself into a pretzel to be palatable to everyone else around me. Now, that's where I think a lot of women live, not because they choose to live that, but because they feel they've been forced there. And what my message to you today is, is you have a choice. You have a choice. You can decide to play that game and that is absolutely your choice. You can say, listen, to be safe, to make sure I get the win, to to get the verdict, I've got to dress conservatively, make sure I don't show my emotion in court, all those kinds of things. And that is your choice and I honor that if that's what you're choosing for you. Just choose it with your eyes open, my friend. That's all I'm asking. But what I'm also suggesting is that you have another choice and that is to be first, to be big and to be bold and to show up in a way that's unapologetic. I'm not talking about aggressiveness for aggressiveness sake. I'm talking about showing up as whoever you are and owning the hell out of that, even if it costs you some things. Because again, someone's got to go first. So my question to you is, will it be you? I sure hope so. And if so, I'm here to support you. I'm here to support all women, regardless of the choice that you're making. But do recognize you have a choice. Does the other choice have consequences? Sure. But you know what? That that world is also a lot more fun. That world is a lot more learning, growth, opportunity. It's scary as hell sometimes. Yes. But man, it's a hell lot of fun over here. So I support you. You have a choice. 
one choice has consequences, that doesn't mean that it's not a viable choice. And I, I admire all y'all out there kicking ass and taking names. Know that I support you. And men who've been listening, thank you for your support of the women in these industries. Please get out of the way. Let them take over trial. Women, stop asking permission. Go in there and ask for that. Get it. Say, I'm taking this trial. Get rid of the asking. Just, I'm taking this. Men, support that when you see it. That's how we can create a, a different world for women trial lawyers. And I'm here for the journey. All right. Been a longer one than my normal ones, but I'm passionate about this. Thanks for listening, you guys. Talk soon. That's it for this episode of From Hostage to Hero. But head to our website, sorrydlm.com, for other must-have resources from Sorry Delamart. Read the transcript of this podcast, watch trial tip videos, or download your free copy of Sorry's article, Why Jurors Hate the Hobby Question. We're glad you joined us today. And until next time, remember that to lead a hostage to freedom, you must first free yourself.